Americans are celebrating Thanksgiving this year during an uncertain and dangerous time. Terrorist attacks in Paris, Lebanon, and Mali, hostilities in Israel and the Palestinian territories, violence against black lives, the hostile debate over refugees and rhetoric around Muslims. It is a challenging time. The world seems out of control, and many are struggling to find the language of gratitude. And yet, as my three guests today show, gratitude, hope, and love are present and available to all of us, even in this time of terror. Welcome to this week's All Together, the podcast dedicated to exploring ethics, religion, and spiritual practice in daily life. My name is Paul Rauschenbusch, and I'm the executive editor of Global Spirituality and Religion at the Huffington Post and the host of All Together. You can download All Together on iTunes or Stitcher. Today I'm talking with a Muslim, a Jew, and a Christian who often work side by side to help find solutions to the world's conflicts. I'm grateful for these three individuals and the many more who, with their lives, offer reason to be thankful during this difficult time. Linda Sarsour is a Palestinian-American Muslim, racial justice and civil rights activist, and executive director of the Arab American Association of New York. Rabbi Justice Baird is the dean at Auburn Theological Seminary, where he oversees education programs that help build a multi-faith movement for social justice. And Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Lewis is Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church and Executive Director of The Middle Project. She and Linda are both Senior Fellows at Auburn Seminary. Linda, Justice, Jackie, welcome to All Together. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Thanks for having so us. So glad to be here. So we are in a time that feels very charged. It's a challenging time. We are approaching the Thanksgiving holiday. And what I wanted to start with is a check-in. I wanted to just see how each of you were feeling right now. Uh, and if you can tell me a little bit just about the state of your soul um, mind, body. Uh, Linda, let's start with you. My heart is broken. Um, my soul is intact still. Uh, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed um, with a lot that's going on in the world, but also the response of people to what's happening in the world and watching you know, young Muslims online sharing stories of how they're being treated in their own communities, in the supermarkets, you know, at work, walking to the train station. So very overwhelmed um, and, and just trying to stay hopeful, um, which is, I think, the most important thing for me is I don't want to be or I don't want to ever lose hope. Right, right. Jackie? Yeah. yeah, heartbroken gets it for me, too. I realized... Um, just about a week ago, Paul, that I was just grieving with such heaviness. And I don't think I've ever in my life used the word depressed to describe myself, but I was depressed. Just the pylon of the sadness, the horror, the violence against black lives and against now Muslim lives. And 
um, Sikh lives, and I realized I just I just couldn't breathe. Honestly, I couldn't breathe. And I did some writing and some journaling, and I met with my therapist, and I got like really clear about what I was feeling. And once I was able to get it on the table and out of my body a little bit, preach it in a sermon, and wrote a chapter in my book, I just felt at least like I wasn't drowning. And now I'm just really grateful for the collaboration of partners like Linda and Justice, you people who are all of the same mind and heart, trying to figure out a way forward and how to how to love each other out of this. So I'm thinking about prophetic grief mm. and then revolutionary love, and I'd love to talk more about that later. But I, you know, just hearing your voice um, and seeing your eyes, it's very present. And I and I, you're not alone. I think that that's the reason I wanted to talk about this right now is that what you're experiencing and that kind of sense of fullness, um, fullness of all kinds of things going on at the same time and wondering how to deal with it is exactly where I think lots of us are right now. So I wanted to honor where you are and where you are, Linda. Justice, can you talk a little bit about how you've been feeling lately? Yeah, I've been feeling um, a bit overwhelmed and a bit, um, uh, you know, feeling like uh, uh, th- things are a little bit out of control. So, with the, you know, at Auburn, we support all these leaders who are on the front lines doing the work. And uh, there's a lot of need out there for them to be, uh, to get their voices out there. And so, um, trying to support them, understanding their stories. My wife is on the Princeton University campus. She's dealing with um, everything from, you know, the recent stuff going on in Israel to the for the Jewish students there on campus to uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which hit Princeton last week. So she's, you know, got a lot going on and, and needs me as well. So I'm, I'm feeling uh, needed and like I can't get the things done because the world has taken over, uh, you know, everything that I'm supposed to be doing right now. So... There's been so much going on, but one of the things that has been present for everyone, and I think still is present, is this idea of terror. Let's talk a little bit about what terror means to us. Jackie, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The pictures of bodies being burned and slaughtered, heads chopped off, and I don't think we have in our lifetime— ever seen that kind of thing. But it has happened in our lifetime. So the seeing is different. I wasn't in Mississippi for lynched bodies hanging from trees. You know. So for me, as an African-American woman, these things are really deeply connected. And as Christian clergy, we know it, it is in our history, too, the torture of Muslims to convert them. So um, I'm terrified. I think the terror has terrified me that there's something loose in so many human beings that's just violent and angry. And the, and the blowback then that we can be having our nation's leaders talk about closing our borders, these immigrants closing our borders, these so-called Christians who... Our faith story is all about a little Jewish boy who was at once homeless and then was a refugee in Egypt, and they're like going to act like that's not something that's called for from our faith. I'm embarrassed at that. I'm, I'm terrified that we will use these moments as an excuse to wreak more havoc, to do more war and less love. Mm. I have to say, I, I also am sensing, and I know for myself, I have a certain amount of 
I guess it's anger. I don't know what it. How, how else to describe it? Um, Linda, do you? I mean, where where are you at with the idea of terror or anger in response? I think the uh, intention of creating terror or terror is to paralyze a people, is to um, isolate a people, and to turn people against each other. It's a very, very effective divide and conquer practice, and this is exactly what the terrorists want. And they hope that their terror creates that. And it it absolutely is creating that in many parts of this world, including right here in the United States. As an American born and raised in Brooklyn, um, the response from, unfortunately, many people, um, I don't like to keep calling them the minority because I want to tell people, if you want to tell me they're the minority, then I want to hear the majority. Where people are using uh, terror to then terrorize those they think are connected to people they have nothing to do with. So when people respond with death threats to mosques, when people respond to attacking women on the street who look different, who they think look like people that are across the world, when your response is to uh, say that we should have a Muslim database and start spewing Hitler-esque um, rhetoric, when you say that you want to close your border borders to people who are fleeing terror, like you're creating more terror and more trauma for these people who thought they were going to see some light, some shining light somewhere. And here we are, the greatest nation in the world saying, nope, not in our country, no safety for you, even though that's who we've been for so long. So it's, it's, it's like hypocritical that we talk about these hateful people who, which they are barbaric and hateful and every evil, like they are evil on earth. But then the way we respond as the greatest nation in the world, or at least how many people in our country are responding is by being as hateful, except we're not, we may not be engaging in the actual physical um, attacks in the way that, in the same way, but the the same feelings are emerging from people. And to be honest with you, it scares the hell out of me. Right. It's not physical violence, but it's psychological violence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things, you know, having talked to a lot of the Jewish leaders is just the resonance of the refugee with post-World War II. Many of the Jewish leaders have spoken up about how this is completely they can't believe that th- this is happening again when, you know, you know that, that people are trying to flee a place of horror and yet they're being turned away at the border. Uh, Justice, have you, have you also been aware of that kind of conversation within the Jewish community? Yeah, the, the American Jewish community is, um, you know, really trying to raise its voice on the refugee issue. Um, there, you know, there's a teaching uh, I saw Rabbi use recently in, uh, in Deuteronomy that says— um, if uh, if an oppressed slave fl- um, escapes his or her master, that you are you know forbidden from returning that slave to his master, and you're obligated to find a place for that you know slave to be you know within your own um, within your own gates, if you will. So you know here we have right here in the Torah a teaching that says someone who is fleeing oppression, you know, you're obligated to create a safe haven for that person and. In our own, you know, in our own history, we've we've got stories to tell. The Jewish people have stories to tell about not having a safe place to be. And had we not been treated well uh, enough by people along the way, our people would not be here. And so, to be a Jewish American means to raise our voice to say um, there needs to be, you know, we we have to open our doors. Uh, how much we have to open our doors and exactly how many people, that's for the politicians to say. But I think as faith voices to say that um, in the face of terror, we can't lose our values along the way, that we have, you know, that we can't 
lose ourselves when we when we do this. There's a story. What well, one more story? There's a story about um, Jacob in the book of Genesis. He's about to um, meet his brother Esau again after they've been apart for many years, and Jacob is really scared because things didn't they didn't part so well. You know, Jacob uh, was a trickster and stole his stole the birthright from his brother Esau. So Jacob's very nervous, and the text says that Jacob was he was afraid and he was distressed. He was uh, Uriah, was fear, and also Tsar. He was, uh, he was distressed about what's going to happen. And the rabbis interpret that verse and they say he was afraid because of what Jacob might do to him, but he was, sorry, about what his brother Esau would do to him, but he was also distressed at what he might do to his brother Esau when he met him. And so when, you know, when things are tense, we're not only afraid for our own, um, you know, safety, but we also actually have to be distressed about what we might do. Mm. to other people, right? We have to have fear for ourselves, but also the distress of how we're going to react in that moment. And are we going to lose our deepest core values along the way? That is so helpful. And I think that one of the things I wanted to turn to now is um, what are the resources that we can turn to in the the three faith traditions that are at this table that have been personally helpful, but also perhaps helpful to people listening, and maybe guideposts to um, us going forward as a community and uh, a pluralistic community that is trying to uphold the values of the American culture that we believe in. I think one of the most important resources is our, our scripture. And and I think also, though, Paul, the scripture needs to be read through the lens of love. So we know as clergy, when Jesus was a Jewish rabbi trying to exegete or make meaning of these texts, he kind of pushes us through the lens of love all the time. The people are saying, what does it mean to be faithful? Like, love, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And in some way, he's doing midrash on the text that justice refers to. You know, he's, he's putting more meat on what it means to be the person who loves the stranger. You know, Deuteronomy 10.9, you must love the alien, the stranger, because you were once strangers in Egypt. So our scriptures are there. I had the deep pleasure of going to Israel and sit at the table with Daniel Hartman talking about what it means to really love our neighbor. If we read the scriptures through the lens of love, I think then we can let go of some of the things that are, like someone tweeted me the other day, the Bible says, pick up your sword. I'm like, what? What? Look at the scripture through the lens of love and you know what it means to be a neighbor. You know what it means to be compassionate. You know what it means to be uh, like Jesus, those of us who are Christians, who always was walking across the border to the other. Always. And and risking. Always. You know, if we think of the story of going across and helping the man who was beaten up along the road, that involved a lot of risk. But that's what it means to love. That's like a classic Christian tale. So when we talk about... What are we? I mean, now I'm starting to preach, but you know, when we start, you know, like when we talk about what it means to, it's not risk free, but it is like who we are. You know, within the Muslim scriptures, what can or or within the 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 grand tradition of Islam, what are some resources that you can offer the listeners? I think um, what's beautiful about Islam is that it's very um, structured in the sense that we stop five times a day to pray. And then that we that there are certain times we do, and I think that 
maybe that's not in other traditions, but I think just to think about when you are feeling overwhelmed that there is this opportunity to spend five minutes of your time to sit and, you know, let God hear you and listen to God, I think is an important part of Islam. Um, and I think for us, um, Islam, oftentimes you hear people say Islam is a religion of peace. But for me, what's more important about Islam is that it's a religion of justice. And my um, healing process um, about Islam is following the footsteps of our prophet who focused his efforts on the most marginalized, the widows, the orphans, the homeless, and really being part of whatever fight was happening at that time, whoever needed him the most. And I think the work that I've been doing and many of my colleagues and my community has been a part of around Black Lives Matter around immigrant rights, you know, ending deportations and the separation of families has been really a healing resource. I mean, if you are feeling overwhelmed by the world, if you think the world is out of control, if you are feeling hurt and heartbroken, go out into the streets, help those that need you the most. And I'll be honest with you, it, it, it refills my heart. Like when my heart is feeling empty, I go back out into the communities and I, I just get recharged again. And I get reminded of all the good people that are out there. I get reminded that I am needed, that I am worthy in this world, that I'm valuable, and that my little contribution is meaningful. And 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 that's really, um, that's not just my own. That's really what my faith, my faith teaches me. It's what Islam teaches me. I want to just give a little shout out to Mr. Rogers. He has this great this great quote. He said, "When the world gets scary, and when you read the news and how really horrible things are, always look and see where the helpers are." Because there's always someone who's trying to help. Exactly. And that if you focus your attention on them and put your energy towards them, um, then it's not as scary. Then it's not as horrible. And, I, you know, justice from the Jewish tradition, you've already given us some, but uh, is there anything else that comes to mind at this point? I, uh, I was living in Jerusalem during the Gulf War. And, uh, and I was there with my family in the summer of 2014 the, during the Gaza War. And so rockets were coming when you know my little three little kids were uh, were there. Um, Israeli society and Palestinian society are really struggling with um, right how to how to build a society based on values in the face of constant and regular threat and terror. Both both communities are really struggling with that. We're struggling here in America. You know how do we build a society that is under threat and. Um, there's a there's a, a story I, I recently came across that um, that was moving to me. It's about um, one of our first and most famous rabbis, Rabbi Akiva. He was from roughly the second century, and uh, he was living during Roman times when the Romans forbid uh, the study of Torah. And he said, "You know what? It was the it was punishable by death. You study Torah, we're going to kill you." And he said, "You know what? I'm going to do it anyway." He's studying Torah with his rabbi buddies, and a rabbi friend of his came up and said, Rabbi Kiva, don't you know what's going to happen if you study Torah? He says, he says let, me, let me tell you a parable. He said, there, there's a fox who's walking along a riverbank, and the fox sees some fish all swarming in this one place in the river, and the fox says, hey, fish, what are you, why are you guys all hanging out here? And the fish said, well, upstream, there's these fishermen in these nets, and they're trying to get us, and we're kind of afraid, so we're hanging out here on the river, and the fox says, well, Tell you what, why don't you guys come out of the water and hang out here with me, and then it'll be even safer. You won't have to worry about, you know, all that other stuff. And the fish say, well, if we, you know, if we leave the water, then we're going to be even more danger. And because, we, you know, then we can't, even, we can't even breathe. You want us to, like, leave our one safe zone. Even though we're under threat, we can't leave, like, 
the place that we are, the, the values that we have, the principles that we have. So for the fish, their water was a given. It was something they had to keep no matter what, even when they were under threat. For the rabbis, it was studying Torah. That was what they did no matter what, even when they were under threat. And for us as Americans, you know, those democratic values that we have to keep returning to, that's the water we can't leave even when we're under threat, when upstream there's something coming at us. So, um, you know, that, that story of the fox and the fish sort of is a reminder that, yes, there are threats. Um, yes, there are folks trying to get us. And at the same time, we can't, we can't leave the democratic values, the water that we live and breathe in. Mm. Now, this is not the first time you three have met. You have worked together through Auburn Seminary as senior fellows. And then I just learned today that, uh, Linda, you were in Jackie's pulpit. And I guess um, what I want to lift up as, you know, another resource is exactly what's around this table, because I think that that's life-giving. And the power of sitting right now with you three, it's already helping me. <laughs> so, but, but I'm wondering, um, tell me how the, the event um, at your church went, Jackie. What, what happened? It was amazing. <laughs> and, and I know that that's a word, like I could give you 80 more different words that would be better, but profound and life-giving and stunning and deep and beautiful. Um, we plan worship really far ahead. And yesterday, Sunday, is like sort of the end of the liturgical year, the end of the faith year. And in most churches around the globe, they call it Christ the King Sunday. And there's a sense like, you know, the thing that God put into place is going to come to fruition and, you know, where everything's going to be okay in the end. You know, no more tears, no more heartache. And the glory of God, the texts say, will be so present in the world that you won't even need temples or synagogues or mosques. So since it's that, I always say, well, let's talk about the reign of God or the shalom of God because it isn't really, Paul, at all about just being Christian. It's really about being human beings, working toward peace. So we just pivoted just a little to include Linda, we, we had already planned this really beautiful music. I had already written this sermon that finally got out of my body and on the page the sense of both just profound grief and also my hope that actually love is greater than hate. And Linda agreed to come. She's my hero. She's um, just a fireball of love and justice at such a young age. You know, I'm 56 and she's 30-ish. So I'm very proud of her. And I preached my sermon, and then I invited her to come up on the pulpit, and I interviewed her and asked her two questions. And the second one was just, can you give us a blessing? And the way she prayed for my congregation, I pray that you will keep doing justice. I pray that when you see a Muslim on the street, you will open the door for her. I pray that you, and just affirmed them, the warmth she felt. She's been at middle before. So she preached to them that the kind of Christian that they are is the kind of Christian that will heal the world. It, mm -hmm. it just blew up. People were just, um, they have no words. And we will have it online later today. Mm -hmm. So folks can go to middlechurch.org sure. and see Linda's prayer, and they can see the sermon, and they can hear the music. What did you think, Linda? Yeah. <laughs> I was moved. Um, it was a really rough week uh, for me and my community, and to to walk into the doors of Middle Church, and I felt this before going there, um, I felt loved, embraced, um, and I felt heard. And um, I also wanted to give something back to the congregation, to the hospitality, hospitality that I felt there and, and blessing people and 
asking God to protect them and and asking God to give them the moral courage to stand up in the face of injustice, even if they sometimes will find themselves the only one standing um, and telling them that they are what I still love about the United States of America. They are the city that I want to live in. They are the Christians that I know will heal the world. And I and it was, I just felt whole again when I left there. I walked out and I felt like my shoulders were back. And that's not how I was feeling. I was feeling super depressed. Because um, of the Tamir Rice anniversary, right? And we were both the, so upset yeah, about that. And it was, um, and my, my son's name is Tamir too. So I was dealing with, I'm dealing with just a whole lot of stuff. Today's also the third anniversary of uh, Jordan Davis, who was killed by Michael Dunn. Um, for just playing loud music. So the world's an ugly place, but Middle Church reminded me of the beauty that still exists in the world. So as a final benediction in my tradition, um, we're in Thanksgiving week, and I'm wondering if you can just offer things that you're thankful for right now. Anybody want to jump in with something that they're feeling thankful for? So the story that Linda and Jackie just told about being in church together, um, reminds me of how thankful I am that our faith traditions really remind us to, you know, to take care of ourselves along the way, to make sure that um, we are renewing ourselves, that we are, um, you know, whether you pray or meditate or take walks or whatever it is that you do. Um, You know, Linda's House of Prayer often is in the streets. You know, that's where she uh, that, that's where she does her work. But if she's not stopping along the way to take care of herself, the work won't get done. And Jackie's voice, Jackie is raising her voice out there day in and day out. And if, she, if her congregation isn't creating moments for her to take care of herself, uh, the work won't continue. So uh, for me in my own practice, it's, you know, Shabbat. Uh, it, it's one of the things I'm most grateful for is to take, take that break, uh, to spend some time with my family. So I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I have gratitude that I'm, that I actually feel obligated. I actually feel obligated to stop, uh, to take care of myself, to, to nurture that divine within me uh, so that I can do more of the work later on. If I can just interject there, like it just reminds me, some of our worst impulses are because we don't take time and we react with rage. And if we took time and thought through it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be righteous, but it means that we'll be whole Mm -hmm. as we move forward. So I just want to like say how important that is and how often underemphasized that is, especially among communities that do justice work. Um, So thank you for that. I'm really thankful for uh, Justice, who's our dean, the dean of the senior fellows at Auburn, um, just as an example of a person who I admire and, and I, I'm really thankful for Auburn pulling a whole bunch of us together who are doing this work. I mean, Sister Simone, Jean Robinson, you know, Otis Moss in Chicago, just an amazing plethora. Sharon Browse on the West Coast, just amazing leaders that I feel honored to learn from and be with. But I might say that I'm most thankful right now for the everyday person who when they could choose hate chooses love Mm -hmm. when they could respond in anger they stop a second and don't when they get a tweet that's stupid and vile they don't pass that on but they put hashtag love in the world they put hashtag hope in the world they i'm so thankful for the everyday person that's smarter than our government leaders who are not going to vilify folks and who are not going to, you know, join in the hate. I'm so thankful for everyone listening who will shape a culture of love. Mm -hmm. Linda? 
I mean, first and foremost, um, I'm always grateful to God every single day because I think God is what brings everything else I'm thankful for, which is for my family and the support of my family, my community, and then all the beautiful people that God has blessed me with, including Reverend Jackie. Like, she's like my my new mom. Like, I love her from the deepest of my heart. She's a very young mom, I will (laughs) say. A very (laughs) very young and lovely mom. Thank you. A very young, hot mom. (laughs) All right, now. (laughs) A hot mama. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) And and Justice, who has always, I've known Justice before, Auburn Seminary uh, Fellowship, and always bringing me in and making me making me feel like my voice is valuable and our friends at Auburn, but also my colleagues out in this world, my young organizers that inspire me every single day who remind me that the world could be better because if they didn't believe that it was going to be better, they wouldn't be out in these streets risking their lives every single day. And I'm, I'm grateful for my, for my children who, um, are, are hopefully believing that I'm trying to make a better world uh, for them. So I'm just grateful for everything that God has given me and blessed me with. Well, I will end by saying I'm grateful for each of you, for Linda, Justice, and Jackie, and for your testimony and for all that you're doing in the world. A very happy Thanksgiving and blessings. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. For Thank giving you, us the mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining me on All Together. I hope you will find some time this week to calm your mind with prayer, meditation, or simply a walk in the park. And then, as Meister Eckhart said, if your only prayer is thank you, it will be enough. Until next week, be well. This episode of All Together was produced by Caitlin Boguki and edited by Nick Offenberg.